1: On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. Stay tuned to the end of the interview, where I'll give you some actionable insights that I learned from my guest. These insights are also in the show notes. As always, thanks for listening. Now, on to my guest for today. Darren Shank of Triage Now. When the relocation business took a nosedive with the recession of 2008, Darren started looking for another opportunity. That came when he was invited to join a startup to lead sales for a telephonic triage service for employees injured on the job. When Triage Now formed in 2012, they joined a small market with three other competitors who'd been around for 12 years. They positioned themselves a little differently, and Darren focused on listening and learning about what potential clients needed. The first few years were tough, but once they landed a big client, Darren says, it's all been downstream from there. Darren's approach to sales differs from the conventional close-the-deal approach. He strives to get to know and educate potential clients, to learn about their needs, and provide a service he sees it more as opening a relationship rather than closing a deal he stresses that by prioritizing building relationships his clients turn to him for advice and referrals and in turn help promote his company new entrepreneurs are advised to start out in a way that will differentiate themselves and to remember that you're laying the groundwork for future sales and customer relationships by being educational and helpful. Now, let's get better together. Darren Shank, welcome to the podcast.
2: Great to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, thank you for coming on. We uh met through matchmaker.fm as we were talking about a little bit before we started to hit record and love what James is doing over there. Yeah. A lot of good stuff that he's he's going to be working on too, so I'm glad we could connect. Yeah, um, a great resource for me as well. Yeah, it's really cool. And you're at a company called Triage Now, which we were talking a little bit about how to define this <laughs> before. Um, and so I'm going to kind of butcher it a little bit, and then yeah. later on, we'll talk about the whole evolution of sure. it. It's basically, you guys are a software company that sort of does telephonic triage, so if you get hurt on the job for workman's comp, they, you know, the employee would give you guys a call and a nurse would help them out and kind of direct them on how to handle whatever they need to handle. So correct. That is oh good. I'm glad I got it. Right. (laughs) So that that was pretty good synopsis. Oh, cool. So the beautiful thing about, you know, this sort of thing is like, especially in the time of COVID, which we'll talk more about, you know, as, as we go along, um, you know, I'm a big fan of anything digital health, so really great what you guys are, are doing and we'll get into all that and how it came about and all that sort of stuff. But, sure. uh, before we do that, as I like to say, tell us, uh, how you got to do what you're doing today. Uh, community service sentence. Uh, <laughs> I got a little trouble. Uh, well, you went to ASU, so, uh, <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I was in the a fancy way of saying the moving business was I was in the relocation business for a while. Um, We had the market crash in 2008. I kind of survived through that, but um, that changed that industry on the corporate side, at least. Residential stayed pretty consistent, but on the corporate side, what went from babysitting 25 accounts who were writing checks to relocate employees uh, or recruit employees from around the country switched over to Here's $5,000 and a bucket of KFC for the trip. Good luck. Get it, Get to Phoenix by August 1st, right? So it kind of took the, the corporate relocation business down quite a notch. And being somewhat new into that space, I did a good job as an account manager uh, and maintaining that business. But when the business itself went away, I had trouble adding new clients and, and I had trouble replacing the business that we lost because of that pivot in that market space. So I was in a networking group and I was supposed to host the next meeting. And I came into the group and said, Hey guys, I've decided to leave this position. I uh, have an interview with CVS Caremark. I'm probably going to finally break down and enter the corporate world. And one of the guys who was in that group pulled me aside at the end of the meeting and said, Hey, have you signed any paperwork yet? Cause I'd really like to talk to you about working with me. Well, you know, we're kind of haggling about a few things. So no, I haven't. But I'm really leaning in that direction. My future boss and I went to lunch. And he's like, look, I love your sales ability. I love your drive. I think you have exactly what I need as a as a one of my founding partners in this process. And so I'd really like you to consider working at triage now. And so I did, I decided that one more time, I'll throw my hat in the ring for an entrepreneurial venture, literally startup phase, scratching the idea on the back of a napkin. But, you know, let's give it one more try. I had done some entrepreneurial stuff in the past. And for whatever reason, have had an aversion to the corporate world. Um, You know, I don't, maybe it's because I don't look as good in a tie as some people do or whatever. But uh, (laughs) I, I just have always kind of been drawn to building and creating something versus getting plugged into being a small part of a huge organization. And so that's how we got started. Um, we, we entered a market that had four existing competitors who all had started about 12 years prior to us. And so we did have the benefit of learning from them and kind of standing on their shoulders, plugging a few of the gaps that they had left and leapfrogging our way into prominence, I guess you can say, in the market space within a couple of years, the first couple of years were tough, of course, but we had a marquee win that put us on the map. And it's kind of been a downriver swim since that particular win.
1: Hmm. Hmm. So w- w- what do you mean by marquee? Like, I don't know if a so, lot of my, my, <laughs> that's <laughs> like, you say you're not a corporate speak, but that's pretty corporate. Speak. That's pretty. <laughs> <laughs> so, a little so exploit. for
2: us, we have aligned ourselves with a major insurance carrier. Oh, okay. That sort of gives us credibility right away. When I can say this company has w- us as one of two of their vetted partners for this service, that eliminates any doubt of us being the new kid on the block in our space as to our legitimacy, our ability to handle a larger client, things like that. So- when I get the opportunity to say that we work with UCLA or American Red Cross or Goodyear Tire and companies like that as direct clients, and then partnerships with companies like Liberty Mutual and other insurance carriers, anybody else that we're speaking to goes, oh, okay, you guys are already in the club. You're vetted. Yeah, yeah you're exactly. Vetted. Yeah. And yeah. so that once we had that card to throw on the table, that made my job of, of sales and business development a ton easier.
1: Yeah, I mean that is interesting because it's almost like third party validation. Exactly. Like, you know, how you know, oh, oh, Bob down the street likes you. Oh, you're probably a good guy. Okay, yeah. now we're just haggling about, you know, yeah. price or whatever.
2: And to to reiterate your point there, I have sent out a list of referral partners and references and I know some people have never bothered to call them because oh. they look at the names and go, "Wow, okay, good enough." And of course, I'm not going to send somebody who's unhappy, right? Right, 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 right. who are going to sing our praises. And I'm sure that that's factored in as well. But just to be able to send out a list of some of those, you know, household name type companies validates us and what we do. And now it comes down to how can we differentiate what we do from the others who are also seen in that same light?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a really good point because, I mean, you guys are you've been around since 2012. Yeah. 2012. So, you know, you've got eight, nine years in the game. And my guess is it's kind of gone from startup mode to, okay, now we're, you know, now, now you're the big company boss kind of thing. Um,
2: Sort of. We're we're one of the top five. We are number five on the list. The other had a twelve year head start, so I'm I'm closing closing the gap quickly. But um, there's definitely you know some of our competitors are Corvell and Coventry, who are Mm -hmm. multi billion dollar companies, not Mm -hmm. just in the triage space, but in general. Mm -hmm. We are specialists at what we do, but we're still going head to head with companies that have way bigger marketing budgets and things like that than
1: we do. So how do you approach that? Because see, there is a lot of entrepreneurs like, okay, I'm one of them, full full disclosure. I, I really don't like doing sales. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I know I, I respect the process. I respect people that really know how to do it well. I don't like it. I'm trying really hard to be better at it. It sounds like you're pretty good at it. <laughs> so I would, I would love to hear a little bit about how that evolution happens. Because I mean, when you first start out, there's, okay, find a market, which you guys yep. have done. Yep. You're going to do it in a different way. Or you're, tr- like you said, like we've got the credibility. Now it's just a differentiation piece. Yep. What's the process you guys go through on like the sales side to figure that out? Because, I mean, if you've got billion dollar companies, you're going head to head with, which a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, as they scale.
2: Yep. That's reality.
1: It's, it's reality, Right. How do you go after how do you go after that? How do you how do you kind of understand the landscape in order to go attack it so that you know the billion-dollar company doesn't crush you?
2: Yeah. Well, you, you actually hit on a couple of key points and then there's one secret sauce thing. And if you promise not to tell anybody else, I'll share <laughs> <you>. um, <laughs> Just between you and <laughs> yeah. me, man. Like we're not recording or anything. <laughs> so so first and foremost, you have to have a compelling reason for people to buy from you right not just hey we're in the market too so why not us right a, a compelling differentiator or value add slash benefit that that you can show this is why you should choose us for us we have a military triage approach to our medical algorithms so it's not a radical shift in the care itself that we recommend but the first thought process is Can we help you where you are, or do we need to get you to a clinical environment? Our competitors typically start with a clinical approach and try to weed people out. But as you can imagine, if you're starting with a clinical approach and mindset, you're going to get more clinical referrals. So that one little thing we have harped on since the beginning and have pounded into the market's head that this is our biggest differentiator. Now, we've added some technology that our competitors have not. We're SOC 2 compliant, which none of our competitors have done yet, um, but those were recent developments. So in the beginning, to, to kind of you know hit that point of, hey, yeah, we're also in the game, that, that one thing that was a differentiator uh, was a huge key to that process. That got us in the door at Liberty Mutual, and we were able to be as a smaller company, we're, we were more flexible. We could, we could pivot faster. We could do some customization that our, some of our competitors could not. And that's why we were one of the two chosen companies for that service. Hmm. In, term, in terms of sales, here's my biggest secret. I don't like doing sales either. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. Yes. <laughs> so what I do is I'm an educator. Oh. I educate a client, or, or sorry, prospective client, to all the things that we can do. Of course, the first thing I do is ask questions and find, you know, what they need, where the pain points are, things like that. And then I educate them as to how our service plugs those holes or uh, removes some of those pain points or outsources things to us and frees up more time for them. That is how I approach sales, and not trying to get somebody to sign on the dotted line today or if you do it by the end of the week, we'll give you a discount or anything like that. That, I believe, is a direct correlation to buyer's remorse. Hmm. Anytime I've ever been sold something and then something goes wrong, I'm immediately mad that I allowed myself to be fooled into this. Hmm. When I present how we would be a good partner and the problems that we solve and that this is a collaborative approach with the caveat that we're not perfect but neither is anybody else despite what they may tell you that is the that sets the groundwork for a long standing working relationship and if things happen to go sideways it appears that that helps give us the benefit of the doubt to fix things and not have one you know minor bad experience derail the whole process
3: hmm
1: so it's more of like uh, from an educational kind of consultative teaching, yeah consultative yeah. mindset and, and would you, how would you recommend like entrepreneurs learn this? Because again, I know a lot of tech entrepreneurs, like sure. all my buddies, and this is the one thing they hate the most.
2: Yeah. Well, tell you what, for five grand, I'll teach you. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I love it. Ooh,
1: look at this. See, How's that See we're long? learning all
2: these cool things. We're yeah. not even knowing we're learning all these cool that's things.
1: That's right. <laughs> so
2: Obviously, that's very different in every market, right? right, the, right. What we do in, in the, the work comp space is very, very niche. We don't have a ton of competitors. And so that that changes that game a little bit. So whether it's a product or a service, you have to be very familiar with what everybody else does, how you differentiate yourselves, and then how you can educate a client who may have zero knowledge of what you do and only a glimmer of understanding of the benefits of, of how what you do would help them. That, and then key in on those things, become an educator, become a resource for people and that not only will gain you more business, but it, it helps to solidify the working relationship where, you know, I love it when somebody calls me and says, hey, do you know anybody that does field case management? Because we, we, we were thinking about adding that too. That's, that's not something we do, but they're reaching out to me as a trusted resource within the industry. And that shows the depth of our relationship. They're coming to me to solve problems that may even be out of my scope but they still feel like you're a good resource and somebody I trust. So I'm going to come to you with this question.
1: Okay. Oh, interesting. So so basically <clears throat> figure out what other people are doing in the marketplace. You know, Figure out why you're unique. Like yep. how do you differentiate yourself? Yep. And then just have this education mindset. Like how do I educate my potential prospects, customers on, you know, be, I like what you, well, and you put it like be a resource and be a trusted resource for all things in your area. There has been rare, rare times,
2: but once in a while, I have told a prospective client, we are not the right fit for you. If this is what you really need, I cannot provide that. And if you Hmm. go with us, you're not going to be happy with what we do. So, that's integrity, right? I mean, that's right, at right. the at the end of the day, I, I can I can sleep at night because that's my approach. I didn't slam somebody into a deal and let client services clean up the mess that I just created. I I was forthcoming with information based on my experience and what the what the prospective client was looking for. We do not align, and I am happy to let them know that. And so. Hmm. You know mm-hmm. work is a is a, a huge world, but a very small number of people, right? Yeah, I go to the conference in Vegas every year and I walk around bumping into people that are clients, prospective clients, and potential clients all the time. And I love the fact that I can point to anybody else in the room and say, ask that guy about us and me in particular as as you know, as a representative of the company, and knowing that ninety nine percent of the time, People will speak very, very highly of us, and if it's the one percent that doesn't, there's probably a real good reason why.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I like I like the fact this integrity thing is interesting. I, I interviewed this guy, um, his name was Near, <clears throat> and I don't remember the episode, but he teaches people how to be companies how to be creative, like the creativity, like hey, I'm going to come in and I'm going to help you creatively solve problems. Okay, and and he had the same. Uh, mentality and attitude about integrity. He's like, Hey, sometimes the truth and being honest and having integrity about it is way more important than closing the sale. Absolutely. Um, and, and, wow. you know, it, it was interesting because his, his attitude was like, look, I come in, I teach you how to be creative and how to use creativity to solve your business problems. And then I leave. Yep. I don't want to sit here and like milk you for whatever money yeah. Just because I can. Right. You know, and it was as he's like he was the first one I heard that from. And, and you're the second one I've heard that from. And I've also heard this from another guest and his name escapes me right now. But he was talking about sales is about solving problems, not getting the sale. Right. Um, well, here's my motto that I
2: live by in sales. Oh, cool. And I, I, I don't know who to credit this to. I was not the, I did not originate this, but I saw it somewhere and like, that's me. I am, I am not closing a deal. I am opening a relationship. That is how I approach sales because I've had clients who have left us because the owner of the company said, hey, we're going to move over to this. My brother-in-law works at this insurance company. They have a triage service. We're changing things over. And it's completely out of their control. Some of those situations are my best referrals because they loved what we did. They loved how we handled their, their business at the time and how that uh, working relationship ended. And they're happy to speak on our behalf. It's one thing to have people who like and are happy talk on your behalf, but people who have left or left and come back because of the relationship that you had with them and they missed it in their in the other vendor that they went with That speaks volumes. And and that mindset of opening a relationship is what facilitates that.
1: So I'm not closing a deal. I'm opening a relationship. Correct. Wow. I like that. So hard to do, like to have that. Is it, is it because you do like B2B sales or I I get the sense that complex B2B type sales processes, I've had to deal with this a lot, like buying software from vendors back in the day, you know, I've, I've felt this a little bit more in those situations, but what about like B2C? I, I don't know. It, it seems, it's just hard for me to wrap my head around that. This is why I'm asking, do you think this also would apply to like a direct to consumer company or, you know, a B2B or B2C type? I, I
2: do. I think your point is excellent though. I think it's a requirement in a long sales cycle relationship type. I used, I did medical sales for Johnson and Johnson for, for oh, a,
1: wow. And so that's a um, long sales cycle.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Switching a doctor over from a competitor's, um, uh, implementation tools to put in a, a, a new hip or a new knee, for example, cause I did orthopedic stuff. Yeah. Switching over from what they were trained on to yeah. your company's system is very very difficult.
1: Yeah, they. That, I, that you probably. Long. Yeah, you probably measure that in quarters, if not years. If you if <laughs> we were
2: lucky, it was quarters. Yeah. So, but if I was selling cell phones or, God forbid, used cars, right? I still think that that approach works. And and I was just having this conversation with someone the other day. I, I wish somebody in the used car business. Or in the car dealership business in general, had the wherewithal to try that approach. And I know some advertise it. I fired the guy that I bought my last vehicle from halfway through the process and worked with his manager. He wow. was just prototypical <laughs> cheese, cheese ball sales guy, used <laughs> salesman to, I mean, by definition, it was awful.
1: Yeah, yeah. And
2: I did everything I could to avoid that. I did as much of the negotiation online as possible. Yeah. And he still pulled me in when I showed up at the dealership. He's like, hey, man, now that you're here, you know, we've got these brand new. I'm like, stop right there. I am here for the vehicle that we talked about only. Do you have my paperwork ready or not? Yeah. And so halfway through the process, I'm like, dude, I'm done. Go get your boss. Yeah. And so I, I A, I never want to be that guy, but b I'm not going back to that dealership again. I don't care that the manager rec- rec- uh, rescued that sale. Um, I'm, I'm not going back. right? And they were on the other side of town. So I really have no reason to go back. If they did a phenomenal job, I would happily drive over there for my next vehicle. But there's plenty of other dealerships nearby or better yet, how about private party and avoid salespeople altogether. But If a dealership could take the approach of you're not closing a deal, we're opening a relationship and have repeat business year over year over year, and and not every year, obviously, but if you've been in business a while and you've got repeat customers that are coming in and you're drawing new people in as well, how can that not be a better business model than slamming people into something, one and done transactions, and constantly filling your pipeline with new customers slash victims for your approach
1: (laughs) (laughs) new victims for your approach
2: that's kind of how i look at it
1: yeah what why is it used car salesman like that's the butt of every joke in sales right and it's the glenn gary glenn ross stuff too you know coffees for closers and you're like really like that's what led the guy to. And I'm not going to ruin it.
2: I'm not going to yeah. ruin it if you haven't seen it. <laughs> uh, absolutely, whatever you're doing, stop after you listen to this podcast. Stop what else you're doing and go watch at least the YouTube clip of
1: that. It's yeah. phenomenal. It's it's it's. I'll put a link in the show notes. It's like oh, good <laughs> Alec. I think it's Alec Baldwin. Correct, and he's <laughs> there's like Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. Yeah, the probably the best how not to be a sales guy, oh, sales guy. <laughs> absolutely. And there's some major, pl- I mean, Jack
2: Lemmon yeah. and Kevin Spacey, I yeah. mean, there's some really well-known actors in yeah. that. In that, And I don't know if Alec Baldwin is actually acting or if that's just him. <laughs> both. Um, but man, is he powerful in that scene. It's
1: awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's a great movie in general. It is. But, but it... I mean, how do we change, how do you change this perception of salespeople as the, you know, used car salesman, Glenn, Gary, Glenn Ross thing? I mean, I, again, as I've been sort of learning this and again, I respect the fact that how hard it is to sell somebody something. Believe me, it's the one of the hardest things to do because it's like the ultimate metric of success in one sense. Well, they didn't have it. Now they have it like no other vanity metric kind of matters in the startup world. I mean, you can have a philosophical difference about yeah. what matters or whatnot, but how, how, how do you think you can kind of change this perception? And, and the reason I ask you this is because I really want to see how entrepreneurs will be actually better sales people. Uh,
2: well, I think the, 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 it's a golden opportunity being an entrepreneur and going into the market as a unknown company. That sounds funny because I struggled in the first couple of years with our business to get it going, but you don't have to undo a a reputation. You, you can be different starting out. And that, that was really my approach was I brought an approach that was as I mentioned, I was in, immediately previous to the triage piece. I was in the corporate relocation piece, piece which was more of account management, really, than you know, constant you know, hunting up sales. Um, when I brought that mindset in, we were the new the new kid on the block. We had we had a, a product that was slightly different, and I was able to go and present and hone my craft of the message that people wanted to hear. But I can tell you from experience, everybody wants a, a consultative approach and a salesperson who's going to be a partner, not somebody who wants to you know hit and run, right? And so I think any market is starving for that. So if you have the opportunity to come in fresh with where you're not trying to overcome a, like, for example, you were a car dealership and you switched to the model of let's open relationships you'd have to overcome years of bad experiences with people to get them to trust that, hey, we're now doing things differently. As an entrepreneur with a new company into the market space, you're coming in a blank slate and you get to set the the industry's perception of you from day one. And if you do it in the right way, I think that leapfrogs you over top of a lot of others because the one thing, the one piece of consistent feedback I hear about my competitors all the time is that they do the same canned presentation over and over. They're sales guys. They're not listening. They're waiting to talk. And that just doesn't work. People know that. People on a first date don't want to hear that. People at the family Thanksgiving dinner don't want you talking about you the whole time. Everybody wants to be involved in the process. And if you take that into sales, you'll be much better off right away.
1: Yeah, that's actually really good advice. That is the same exact advice that I would give someone that wants to be an awesome podcast host. You just have ah. to sit back and listen.
2: <laughs> Let the magic happen, right?
1: Let the magic, as we said before, it's like the first question and the last question are the same. Yep. The same, it's the magic is the dash between, as I like yeah. to say, which I think is Scotty. There's a country song called The Dash that my fiance loves and we listen to it all the time. It's Scotty Mc. I think good great great uh great song um have to take your
2: word for it I'm, I'm not a country music fan yeah
1: neither am I but I for whatever I mean I'm a heavy metal guy but okay. uh, for the reason it's Whoa. really cool like I I was struck by the lyricism and oh, cool it, it's uh, uh anyway it, it's just a really interesting song um hmm well this is really this is really fascinating because i I rarely get to, well, let me, let me just, let me step back. I have this visceral reaction (laughs) to like, oh, I have to now go sell something. Yeah. But I like this whole map mindset of like, no, it's not really about sales. It's about educating the marketplace, educating potential partners, opening relationships, not closing deals. Yep of service. I'm a big fan of being a service. I mean this podcast is of service. Like I'm trying to, you know, right as a good example. So and it's interesting when I have to like pitch or help like my clients in my PR marketing business, I'm way better at selling them, quote unquote, than I am kind of selling myself. I mean, because it it, it's sort of a hard thing to kind of promote yourself. And I'm wondering, do you have any kind of Advice on that aspect of it. I mean, I know you're kind of promoting your company, and that's a little bit different. But you know, you're also a speaker. You lecture. You know, you you're uh, you're you're on the faculty of Arizona State. My guess is you have to do some self promotion. I mean, this podcast is probably some of that self promotion stuff. (laughs) How do you how do you how do you take what you've learned in sales? This very educational approach. This opening relationships, not closing deals and apply that to how you kind of promote yourself. Because one of the other things that entrepreneurs are, can be really bad at, and you know, guilty as charged is promoting what we do and promoting ourselves as, Hey, this is what I've done.
2: Yeah. Well, let me ask you a question first. Um, do when you promote your services for PR, do you do all of the work?
1: Usually. Yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah, we have so you, some are, you are truly promoting yourself and the company and the brand all as one thing because it, it is you. You're not like for me, I've got a team of 50 people behind me that mm-hmm. are nurses and client services, people and things like that. So I promote us mm. and, and what we do. But in your case, you are really promoting you because it's a hands-on project for you that you're trying to win from that client. Right. So that would yes. change things for sure. But, uh, it, the If you present yourself from a, a standpoint of integrity first and you have a great product or a great creative idea that you can bring to somebody and show them how it would benefit them, I can tell just from talking to you in this short time that we've been doing this that you're a, a likable guy. People would you know ease, feel comfortable talking with you and things like that, uh, unless this is your podcast persona. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it's all, no, all, you pretty all game, much, right? you pretty much get what you get with me. Yeah, I wear my heart on my sleeve. I, I, yeah. I can't be more than one me. <laughs> I'm yeah. just not like um, anyone that knows me would say that. Oh yeah. Jari. Yeah. He's, I, I,
2: I you hear you. So, so that's good, right? I mean, you're, you're not having to flip the switch and, and click into that guy to go do your job, right? It's, it's just you. Mm-hmm. And again, I think there's a lack of that in the marketplace in general. Too many salespeople are trying to Either make a quota because their job's on the line, or I'm trying to squeeze this in by Friday so it hits this commission check cycle instead of the next one. Anything that's not client centric, that's focused more on them than the client, people sniff that out really fast. And even when you're offering somebody, hey, if you know, I talk to my boss, and we can, if you sign by Friday, we can get you this price. No, that that just screams. You know I'm falling short of my quota or I need a commission check or I gotta close the deal, I'm gonna get fired, whatever, right? When you come in, be yourself, present a solution. Sorry, ask questions first, present a solution and do all of that with integrity. I think it's just a matter of time before you win. Hmm. Now, for entrepreneurs, the tough part is can you do can you survive long enough to get to the point where you start landing deals. Right, that's that's the tricky part, and that was where we struggled initially. But once we hit that turn, tipping point, it was swimming downriver from that point forward. So it's a matter of either, you know, keeping a day job while you do your entrepreneurial venture on the side and build it to the point where you can do just that, or being well funded enough, whether that's personally or through investors to have the lifespan to get to the point where you are a recognized name in the market and you've got opportunities that are going to start to come to fruition. Yeah. You just have to outlive that gap. Yeah, yeah. No,
1: thanks for that. Because because it, it, it sounds like it took you guys a couple years to sort of find it did. your stride.
2: It did, no doubt. Our message changed a little bit. The way we presented it changed and morphed. I, I did not have any work comp experience whatsoever. And here's a little tidbit, because I know your your last question that you're going to ask me, this might be a good segue. When when we started, one of our partners was an insurance agent, and he was going to teach me how to go sell this product in the confines of the work comp space. A month into our existence, his insurance agency got bought out. One of the criteria was that he dissolved his relationship with us because they felt it was a conflict of interest. So there went my mentor. (laughs) (laughs) Oops. (laughs) Yeah. So now I'm swimming, you know, I'm, I have been, you know, I've jumped off the the high dive into the deep end of the pool. Right. And and I left my life jacket on the ladder, right? (laughs) In trouble here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So
2: not only did I, we, we went an intelligent approach, which was bring in a partner that knows the, the landscape and can teach us. That got yanked out out from under us right away. But we also started in a really small market and not chasing after big clients who were gonna, nobody wants to be first, right? Nobody wants to be left behind, but rarely do you find somebody that wants to be the first one into the pool and give your new company a shot at, at, at taking over their business. So we had to start really small and then get slowly bigger and bigger and bigger and then when we got the chance to jump to a, a presentation to a carrier, an insurance carrier, we were ready and we had the vernacular down. We knew what the clients were looking for. We knew how it would benefit them as well as the clients directly. Then we were ready for that talk. But we we sure as heck were we are not ready two years in to have that discussion with Liberty Mutual.
1: Yeah. So interesting. So interesting because- I've I've seen this a bunch of times before. It's almost like m- my friend Ravi says. He always he he stole it from someone. I don't mem- remember who he stole it from. But this whole crawl walk run approach, yeah. where you literally don't know what you don't know until you get your product into the market. I mean, I'm firmly convinced of that because. How many times have I seen it? And even in my own companies, we put something out there. No one wants it. We pivot, we pivot, we improve, we improve. We change the message, like the story. I'm glad you brought up about the messaging and story because that's my kind of expertise. Like the story matters. That's the most important thing because if you don't have a good story, no one's even going to listen to you. You can't even get the opportunity to go talk with them. And that's almost been a universal kind of truth, yeah, uh, so to speak. And
2: The market will let you know if you have something worthwhile or not. Yeah, no, that's true. That's That's really what it comes down to. But again, you have to live long enough to, to, you know, you have to outlive that gap where you can get three years deep and, and survive to get to that point and then go, okay, if we tweak this one thing, we're going to, we're going to be swimming down river from here. But that's a long time, right? I mean, especially if you like for us, we were employing software developers to write our service. We were we had nurses sitting around doing nothing because the phone wasn't ringing, right? But we have to have them in case it does. Yeah. In fact, this is this is kind of a funny little sidebar. The first time the phone rang was on April first. <laughs> <And laughs> like, oh my god, what do we do? Is this a joke? Is this an April Fool's joke? What do we do? Uh, answer the phone. So. The nurse answered the phone and went through the process and we all celebrated. It's like, okay, we did it. We're off and running. And that was our that was one phone call. Yeah. That was it. It was the first one. Wow. But you have to start somewhere, right? Yeah. And so again, you have to outlive that gap of the learning curve until you really figure things out. And then you're starting, you're going from crawling to walking and hopefully eventually to running.
1: Yeah. And and how so, so you you had a technical component. I I know. <laughs> yeah. Like, we talked a little bit about what you guys do, but essentially, you know, someone calls a number or is it a video call or how how does the technology work? Like kind of take me through the process because one of the interesting things is, um, you know, you guys went into a market already had competitors already established. You're doing something a little bit new. This, you know, I think it's called, uh, you know, kind of telephonic nurse triage. So, (laughs) as opposed to telemedicine, you know, there's different, it's, it's different. Like, yes, it's subtle, but different, but I, I just take us through sort of the real quickly, the process, cause I want to kind of understand the technology piece, because mm-hmm. one of the things I always tell people is that, you know, you're building your product, Right. And then you've got to sell your product. And most people, especially technical entrepreneurs, will be like, well, I'll just go viral within a couple of months and we're done. <laughs> and you're like, well, no, it took us two years yeah. and three years. And I mean, I don't know how complicated your technology was, but I mean, yeah, tell us a little bit about that because I think there's a very important point. So for us, the
2: technology is unseen. What we, the, our forward-facing product is our nurse talking to your injured employee and and guiding them through what to do next for that impl- for that injury. Do you slap a Band-Aid on it and go back to work? Do you go home and take a hot shower and put ice on that and show up at work tomorrow? Or do we need to get you to a clinic and have some have a doctor look at you? Everything else is automated in the background, and that's where our software comes into play. We have a web crawler that goes out and finds all 50 state forms that are required when a workplace injury happens, We have a medical algorithm for each major injury category, like a sprain or strain or a a laceration or abrasion or bruise or contusion. We have 20 some different uh, medical algorithms. So all of that stuff is hidden in the background. And that's the part that I sell sort of. But what I really sell is the experience that the employee is going to have and the Mm -hmm. problems that we solve for a risk manager. So when somebody says, when I ask the question, you know, what keeps you up at night? You know, it's a little, it's a little cheesy, right? I mean, that's pretty st- a standard sales guy question.
1: Yeah.
2: But my follow-up to that is, well, great. Cause I help people like you sleep better at night. Here's how we do that. Right. And, and so the software and all the technology is kind of pushed to the background, but it is vital to what we do. It's just that the injured employee who is the customer, so to speak in that c- scenario, Uh, isn't really aware of everything that happens in the background. They're getting the warm, fuzzy hug from the nurse, letting them know, hey, everything's going to be okay. Here's what we're going to do next. And you'll be just fine. And then they go, they take the next step in the care process. Everything else that we do is in the background, but it keeps the insurance company, the employer, the clinic all on the same page, day one, hour one of that injury happening.
1: Yeah. So, okay. So from a kind of, Forward facing the person using the service, which is the first person would be the employee that's injured. Right. Calls the nurse, the nurse takes them through the process. You've got this huge back end of just, you know, magic. And then for the insurance company and the employer, as well as probably the state or state where where you're in, they're going to want to document this because that's important. They're going to want to have the whole thing. So you probably provide all the reporting and the, you know, kind of the case quote unquote management of it, I guess would be the term.
2: Sort of that there is case management, but that's Mm -hmm. downstream of us. Hmm. Case management kind of falls under somebody, for example, that, um, would fall and fracture an arm. Hmm. Right. So they, they need a, they need, they, they may not even call us for that, right. That injury is serious enough that they might just send that person to the hospital depending on how bad it is. But the case manager would, would kick in after a claim is set up and sort of babysit the process of getting that person set up for x-rays and physical therapy appointments and possibly surgery, if that's appropriate, things like that. So case management does happen in our industry. It's downstream of us. We are the tip of the spear in that process, and we help keep everybody else in the loop and expedite the process for the employee.
1: Interesting. Interesting. And it took a couple of years to sort of get that squirt away? Uh, where
2: After five years of work, we were an overnight success.
1: <laughs> awesome. Awesome.
2: Kind of how it works, right? Yeah.
1: It's kind of how it works. So what advice would you give kind of the next generation of entrepreneur coming up? Uh,
2: don't do it. <laughs> do it. <laughs> what? This whole show is about that. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, you, you need to have a strong stomach, right? There's no question that being an entrepreneur will test you in ways you never thought possible or that you never thought about ahead of time. Um, it's easy to make any numbers that you want to achieve with revenue and things like that make sense on a spreadsheet. I would triple every number that you put on in terms of cost and at least cut in half any revenue numbers that you have and see if that still works. If it does, you have a shot. If your plan is we need to be selling stuff in three months into this to keep the company going, you're setting yourself up for failure. It just does not work that way. And like you said about, you know, hey, we'll go viral and then this will take off and we'll be shipping products around the world. Okay. Yeah. That happens about 0.0001% of the time. The rest of us do it the hard way, which is to toil in misery for five years and then become an overnight success, right? Yeah. So, So be prepared for that stuff ahead of time. I will tell you, I did a personal, uh, my dad and I did an entrepreneurial venture together. He used to work in the wine and spirits business, saw a gap that we could fill. We put together our own distribution company. We got some products that we were representing. We got some stuff into total wine. We thought we were off and running. Well, we had a deal for a million dollar account on the table in January of, it was, this was before triage now. So it's been a while. Um, we died in September because we were out of money. We were wow. underfunded to begin with.
1: Wow! The,
2: even putting products on the shelf at Total Wine didn't guarantee that they were getting sold. Right. And they're, they're not there. They're on consignment. If yeah. you don't sell it, they want their money back after a yeah. certain amount of time, right? So um, I, I woke up 11 days in one month where I threw up in the shower. Wow. I was so stressed out that I was literally puking to start my day. Sorry, sorry for the imagery.
1: But <laughs> no, no, no. That's not a good way to start. real today. here, right? <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's good. If you, you gotta understand know what
2: that going in yeah. and you have the stomach and the, the financial backing to, again, outlive that gap of your learning curve, which is always going to be longer than you think, and pivots that you have to make, or, oh, hey, by the way, there's a pandemic. Everybody has to hide at home for the next year. So Whatever true. it is, If you can plan for all of that and still think you want to do it, great. Dive in, do it. Because it could be the most rewarding thing that you ever do, but you have to know going in what's on the line and what it's going to take. Because lots of people want the success, but they don't want the workload that it takes to get there.
1: That's so true. So true. Darren, thanks so much for being on the show, man. I really appreciate it. I learned so much about sales that, like I said, I'm, Trying to practice as much as I can and uh, (laughs) appreciate all you guys are doing over at Triage Now. What a great uh, story to talk about the trials and tribulations and good luck and uh, stay safe. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks again, Darren, for the interview. Now, as promised, here are some actionable insights from my conversation with Darren. Know what you're getting into and plan for a gap in time between when you start and when you'll be making money. This means either keeping your day job or ensuring you have enough funding to keep going, at least for a few years. I know that sounds like a lot, but a lot of times a lot of startups kind of fail or fall away or have to, you know, zig and zag because they run out of money. Plan to spend three times more than you think. And to make half as much as you hope to. Um, this is actually general rule of thumb. Um, I don't know if it's these exact numbers, but I've found this as well. So always make sure that you have a range of where you need. Like, oh, I'm going to be making between this much and this much money, and I'll need between this and this much money to like raise money and stuff. The market will tell you if you have something worthwhile. But the only way to learn that is to put something out there and actually give it time Uh, one of the heuristics that I always use is if what you should what you should plan on is the amount of time it took you to develop the product and the amount of money should be the same amount of time and money you use to promote and try to sell the product I know that's probably heresy a lot of people want to go viral or whatever but it does take about the same amount of time and Um, There's ways to accelerate that, which I won't get into, but general rule, the amount of time it took to develop and the amount of money it took to develop should be the same amount of time that you budget and amount of money you budget to promote uh, to get sales. And that's it. Those are the actionable insights I learned from Darren. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learn something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits and